0: So, I was uh, thinking about this message. I mean, uh, as Pastor Brian said, uh, our different communicators and teachers and pastors preach every so often. So, I, you know, you get a little bit of foreknowledge and, you know, usually, you know, a little ways out, you know, that it's coming. And so, you start to pray and ask God and, and it's such a, an ominous message. Uh, to me, responsibility to to speak on God's behalf—it's it's no small thing, and. Uh I think all of us that have this privilege and and opportunity put a lot of time and thought and prayer into what we would share and what, what God would be saying and try to get a glimpse of that and hopefully communicate at least part of that, uh, some of that, uh, when we have the opportunity on a weekend. And so as this was approaching, I was just like praying and kind of laboring over it and uh, really wasn't getting something that, oh, this is it. I had ideas and I was writing thoughts down, but it was just, you know, there wasn't just like, oh, this is good. I felt so good about it. And it got to where uh it went all the way past last weekend. And last weekend I remember sitting in service and and as I was listening to uh Chris uh speak and I thought, oh God, what, what do you want me to say next week? I need something. And and uh and Sunday passed, still nothing. I mean ideas, but really nothing. Mondays and I, I took the day Monday and I'm just praying and pouring through scripture and there's nothing. And and then I, I remember. On uh, Monday night, uh, Lori and I had uh, dinner together and we were talking and, and kind of talking about our future and, you know, what, what, what is God going to do in, in, in our marriage and our relationship and in our future and just kind of thinking about the future and pondering and kind of prayerfully discussing it. And I remember at the end of the night, we just kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know what is God, I'm really not sure everything that he's going to do and how this is going to blend and what's going to happen. And there was almost a little bit of frustration for me, at least at the end of the night. And, and so I went to sleep that night and I woke up Tuesday morning at five 30 in the morning. And I I usually get up early, but usually quite not, not quite that early. And so five 30, I kind of woke up and in my slumber, I just had these words pouring through my head. He set his face like a flint. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and it wouldn't stop. I'm just, I'm, I'm like almost trying to get back sleek. And he set his face like a flint and it just kept coming. Those six words came again and again and again. And I knew it was in scripture. I knew it was a passage somewhere in the Bible. I'd never studied it. I'd never preached on it. I can't remember the last time I heard anyone say those words. You know, it's, it's sometimes God has this way of speaking to us when we least expect it. And it's almost like you can know it is the Lord when you weren't expecting it. And it just came out of the blue. How many have ever prayed and looking for direction and, and you're going to God and, and, and you you kind of, I have the ability to almost manufacture stuff like to just, you know, kind of make stuff up and well, yeah, maybe this is what it is. And yes, I was praying. So it is God, you know, I am called to be president of the United States. So uh, you, 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 you kind of, I've done that. I've been there, but there's something about when you least expect it and all of a sudden something rises up in your spirit. And I knew it was Lord, but I didn't really know what it meant. And so I just woke up and I got out of my bed and I just started praying and I didn't know how to pray. So I just began to pray in the spirit. I began to pray that Romans eight prayer with, you know, the Holy spirit helping me in my infirmities and my weakness in that moment and saying, God pray through me and, and God help me to understand what is this saying? What do you mean? And I felt like God was beginning to unveil some things that I'd never seen that really began to help me. And as I began to, I was just doing this on a personal level. I just felt like the Lord was saying, there are people that need to hear this, this weekend. People that need what I'm bringing into your heart this weekend. And I believe this is for you. I believe there's an element or a part or maybe all of what God's speaking this morning that is necessary Uh, in your life. And I found myself going over, of course, to scripture in Isaiah chapter 56 and seven. We see where this comes from. He set his face like a flint. He said, the prophet said, and Isaiah was, uh, this this incredible prophet that spoke of the Messiah, that prophesied of the coming of, of, of Christ. And, and uh, in this passage, he's speaking about Christ. He's speaking about the Messiah. And he says, I've offered my back. And it's first person, like Jesus himself. The Messiah himself is saying this. I've offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So these are the words of our Savior, who endured this unimaginable suffering and scorn and shame. And in the middle of all this, he said, I've set my face like a flint. And it's no wonder that he said this, because even in the garden, he was saying, Lord, I I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do that, but not my will, but your will. Lord, give me strength. And it, it was a tough journey. It wasn't an easy journey for our Savior. Luke uh, 9.51, Luke goes on to, to describe this journey and, and this, uh, this scripture in, in Isaiah, and he says, Now it will come to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem set his face like a flint a flint is a flint is really strong hard rock when it's struck against steel it it sparks uh, in fact they'd use it to to produce a fire and and setting your face like a flint presupposes that wherever you're going wherever that flint like direction is that it is going to be faced with opposition that it will not be an easy road he set his face like a flint. So how does that relate to us? I believe if I could boil it down into just a a, a couple words, it it means having the resolve to remain on an unflinching journey towards our Jerusalem. I believe we all have a Jerusalem journey that we're making. And I began to think about Jerusalem and Christ's uh, ascent. To Jerusalem. And I thought about three things about, about Jerusalem. First of all, uh, it was an ascent upwards. Uh, when you read the scripture, it says that he journeyed up to Jerusalem. Uh, often in the scripture where people are uh, moving towards Jerusalem from one part of Israel to the other, they, it talks about they went up to Jerusalem. And the reason is, is that Jerusalem was about 2,500 feet above sea level. At the time when Jesus started his ascent to Jerusalem, His final ascent, he was about 1,250 feet beneath sea level. So it's about a 4,000 foot walk upwards. That's pretty, pretty high. It was a steep, steep journey. It wasn't an easy journey. And often in our ascent to our Jerusalem, the the places that God has taken us, the space that he wants us to, to occupy, it is an upwards journey. Following God, following Christ, doing justice, loving mercy, being kind, being good, raising children, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good friend, a good brother. It is sometimes an upward battle. It is often a climb. The second thing about Jerusalem is it it's is literally the city of peace that's the meaning of Jerusalem and and it's a city of peace because it was a place where God's people would gather in the presence of God and God would show up and they'd sense and and, and discover the peace of God and the and the grace of God. And Jerusalem for us is is a is a is a place of peace. It's finding peace in our lives. It's finding that that, that presence of God in our lives. How many of you've ever maybe been in a relationship that there, that there just wasn't a peace. It just, oh, there's something that's not right about this relationship. And it doesn't mean that person's a bad person or, you know, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that for whatever reason, this, this isn't right. This isn't who you need to be connected with in whatever, whether it's a romance or business or something. But there's there's times where we just have this lack of peace, or maybe you get into an activity of some kind, and you begin to go down a road or a path, and you thought it was right, but you get a little bit down that road, and like, there's just not that peace that's surpassing your understanding, and you realize, wow, maybe this isn't the road. And so our road to Jerusalem is kind of discovering the peace of God in our lives every day. What is bringing his peace and his calm? And then Jerusalem was the center of the greatest influence of that day. It was like the New York City of that day. And even though Jesus started in obscurity and a stable and ins- insignificance, the, the end of his journey brought him to Jerusalem and he, and he died on a cross before all of mankind and everyone saw it and everyone had known what uh, he'd done. He was, he, he'd become famous in his land. This did not go unnoticed. And he went to the very center of influence to bring us salvation. And somewhere in our walk to Jerusalem, God wants us to bring to bear the influence of the gospel, the influence of Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to walk a walk of fame, that we're going to walk a walk of fortune, that, that, that somehow this influence means that, you know, we're going to be this pronounced person in our world, but that God wants to take the influence and the gifts and the abilities and the the anointing that God's placed within us and allow it to bring to bear the gospel wherever we go. As Cody opened us in worship today, he read from uh, Philippians chapter three, and I love this passage because it's the apostle Paul kind of describing his journey to his Jerusalem, describing uh, his call in the gospel. And uh, I'm just going to share some uh, words again from uh, this passage, and I'm going to read it out of a, a different translation, out of the message translation. And he said, I- I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made. Don't you love that? That the apostle Paul said he didn't have it all together? It's so amazing. This guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He started churches everywhere he went. He had this incredible boldness and tenacity, and, and yet as such a strong leader in his day, he said, man, I am so far from having it all together. He had this humility and this sense of, I am still figuring all of this out. But he said, I'm well on my way. So he wasn't losing hope in this process. He said, I'm on my way. I'm reaching out for Christ, who so wondrously reached out for me. He said, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, on that Jerusalem where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off, I'm running, and I'm not turning back. He said, let's stay focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that you're back on the right track, let's stay on it. So Paul talked about, he said, man, I haven't got it figured out, but I'm—I know where I'm going, and I loved what he said. I said, "I'm going after Jesus." I, you know, he—he he didn't say, "Man, I'm—you know—I'm going to plant fifty churches by this day," or you know, I've got these these goals or this thing and this list. He just, man, I am going after Jesus. He is my passion. He is my Jerusalem. He is my goal. I want to please Christ. He conceded he didn't have it figured out, and yet he had this flint-like abandonment of utter commitment to his journey. Paul had set his face like a flint in this journey, and I don't need to tell you about the opposition this man may uh, add. Left for dead, criticized, mocked, scorned, eventually uh, was, was martyred for his faith. He had unbelievable opposition, and yet he had set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And I want to just give you a couple thoughts on your Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, our journey to the will of God and finding God in the midst of our lives every day. First of all, it often means following a less than glamorous path. In fact, it is a journey of servanthood. It is a journey where we dare to serve. You know, Jesus in Philippians Two seven. It it's describes him, and, and it says that he came, even though he's the son of God, he came as a servant. It says he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He said, I've come to serve. He washed his followers' feet. He served. He talked about if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of God... He said, let me me tell you where that begins. Let me just take you right here where you become the least and you serve. There's something about serving when we just get up in the morning and say, Lord, how can I serve you? How can I serve others? How can I serve my church community? How can I serve my family, my children, where God just says, oh, I love this. I wanna get in the middle of this person's life today. He loves the heart of a servant. There's something about servanthood that just brings out God's best in our lives. I have a friend I, I met years ago, and he uh, he was a a brain surgeon, and I'd never met a brain surgeon. Like that's that's a, an important job. And and I, I wanted I had all kinds of questions about how you do brain surgery and, you know, what do you do when you get in there and what if you make a mistake and, and, you know, and, and, you know, it's just like everyone's watching you, you can't cover it up, you know, so I mean, it's just such an important job and, and it's life and death and, and, and so I was asking questions and, and I said, describe your routine when you go into a brain surgery. And someone's head is open, you know, and you're, you're, you know, their life depends on you. What, what's the routine? And they said, well, you know, I, I just, I'm walking into the hospital and walking by and I'm going back to the operating room and I get into the little prep room and, and uh, someone turns on the tap for me and I wash my hands and then they, they put they actually put the gloves on me and then they uh, put the robe on me and tie it up and then they put my mask on and my little hat and, and, I, and I walk into the room and there's like a team of 10 to 15 people just waiting on me hand and foot and, and asking me what I need and I, and they've done all the pre-work and I just simply walk in and I begin to do my work and I call out for a scalpel and they stick a scalpel in my hand and I call out for this and I, I, you know if I need my brow wiped, they wipe my brow. I mean, it is all focused on me getting the job done. He's like the rock star of the, 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 the doctor world. And, 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 and then he said this, but he said, Blaine, when I walk out of that hospital, I go home every day. And when I get home in the evening and I walk through the front door of my house, there is my wife. And she is waiting with my nine-month baby, And that little baby is in her arms, and she throws that baby into my arms and says, Change the diaper, please. And there's no staff. There's no helpers. There's no delegating that. I go back, Mr. Brain Surgeon, Mr. Rockstar, and I go back there and set that little girl on a table. I take off that dirty diaper and, and I clean her up and I sprinkle that powder and I put another diaper on and get her all dressed and bring her back in. And I hold that baby while my wife is cooking. And then we, we, we set her down and we eat. And after my wife is taking her and putting her into bed and I'm, I'm cleaning the dishes and cleaning up the, uh, the, the kitchen and, and helping her in the house. And, and he said, it all changes. And he said, you know what the difference is? He said, when I walk in that door, I am home. And I'm no longer a brain surgeon. I am there to serve my family, to serve my wife, to be a blessing. And he said, you know, it's kind of like when we come into church. It's kind of like when we come in to community. When we come into community, when we come into church, we're coming home. This is my family. This is your family. We are home. And thank God for all the different talents and abilities that are represented in this house and in this place as we walk out these doors. But all of that just kind of gets laid down. And it's so awesome to see (laughs) highly successful businessmen that are back there in that nursery, rocking those kids and blessing those kids. It's so awesome to see artists and people that have incredible music talents that aren't necessarily on this stage every week, but they're back there with our young people or they're serving as ushers or greeters. It's so awesome to see people who have a a calling and a heart for prayer who'll show up and pray for our church. It's so awesome to see ladies in our church who will cook meals and, 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 and make meals and bring them to the church so that we can help to uh, bless uh, new mothers who are bringing babies home and they don't have to cook or people that are in crisis in their life. It's so awesome when when we begin to see the church just say, let us serve. How can we help? And I think that's part of our Jerusalem journey. And it's in servanthood that we begin to discover what God is doing in and through us. I think the the other thing I thought about our Jerusalem journey is I think it means for us getting up from failure in our lives and daring to believe that God still believes in you. There's some of you who've walked into this place this morning and you have some doubts about that. You've been through some things. You've done things. You've got some life experience. You're, You're fighting through some issues today, this week, and you're like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I really feel like God is with me. Oh, I hear it. I know that he'll never leave me or forsake me. I've heard that many times. But you know what? I don't feel him. I don't see him. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel like my prayers are being answered. Where is God right now in the midst of my struggle and maybe in the midst of my failure? I was uh, was able to visit... uh, a very influential person in my life, uh, about six, six months or so after my, my crisis. And many of you have heard the crisis I went through, uh, four years ago, where I stepped out of ministry and I had just made a mess of my life and my family. And, and I was just in a, a very bad place. In fact, I remember. Uh, as a former pastor, as I resigned my church in Dallas, uh, there was a team of men put together by the board of my church that became my restoration team. And, and so they met with me and said, we want to restore you. We're your restoration team. And, and I said, well, what do you mean to restore me? Well, re- restore you, you know, back into health and back into ministry. And I said, well, I'm okay with the health part, but I really don't think I'm ever going to go back into ministry. I felt so disqualified and so lost and so far from the church and so far from God that I said, let's just, let's just talk about restoring health because I really don't think ministry is in my future anymore. And something changed when I went to visit this man. I went to Vancouver, and I was actually pursuing secular employment in Vancouver. And I went to meet with uh, some, some business people there. And, and, uh, and I, I remembered that my first youth pastor, who was so influential in my salvation and in my discipleship as a young teenager, my first youth pastor lived in Vancouver. And he was now a pastor at a vineyard church that was in inner city Vancouver. And they did all this outreach to the hurting, to the poor, the marginalized of, of, of the downtown in that area. And, and I thought, man, I just had this inspiration. I want to meet with him. Want to go back to my roots? I want to go back to that first love. I want to remember what it was like when I first got saved. I want to revisit, reconnect with Gordy, and so I called and I think I actually Facebooked and found him, and we set up a coffee. and I got to coffee and and uh, I was telling him, you know, my story and and I should I should say this: Gordy had gone through this incredible, incredible challenge as as a young minister. He started in ministry when he was about 18 years old as a youth pastor of my church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. His youth group exploded. It went from like a handful of kids to about three to 400 young people every single uh, Wednesday night. And that was huge back in that day. This would be back in the 70s. And and uh, no one had ever heard of a youth ministry that large, especially in Canada. Most churches in Canada were maybe a couple hundred. And so he's got three to 400 kids that are coming every Wednesday night. And it, and it began to explode. And, and the pastor of that church, which... Uh, this church grew along with the youth ministry, a church of about a thousand, which was a mega church in Canada and probably still is. He began to have Gordy preach every Sunday, you know, almost every Sunday. I mean, the pastor almost vacated the pulpit and let Gordy, because there was just such an anointing on this, on this, this, this young man and his wife and, 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 and Gordy was passionate. He was, he was in love with God and he fasted and he Prayed and he'd take a street witnessing every Friday night downtown, and, and he was always full of the scripture and full of life, and he was genuine and sincere, and we just loved this guy. And And, and uh, I moved away from Canada uh, uh, when I was in my, my 20s, and, and I kind of lost touch with Gordy, but I found out years later that he had a meltdown of massive proportions. It just shocked me. And as I collected, you know, the story, I found out that he had just, he was running so hard, so strong, fasting, praying, going, preaching, speaking, counseling, ministering, just going so strong that he literally had a mental breakdown. And he came to this moment in his life where he believed that he had become the Antichrist. He broke down so bad to the point where he had put together a plan where he felt like he was going to kill a national leader, and then he would be killed in the process, but he would rise from the dead and be the Antichrist. This is how far down he went. He was put into a hospital for several months, went through years of rehabilitation, years of restoration, years of kind of figuring out what had happened and bringing him back to health. And finally, after several years and much prayer and many, many people investing in his life, he, he found his way back into ministry. And he said, Blaine, he said, after hearing my story, he said, you and I are a lot alike. We're passionate. We're ambitious. We have lists. We have goals. We want to do things. We want to make things happen. We got all this stuff. And he said, there was a passage of scripture that came to me during this process of healing in my life. that changed my life. I would not be here if it weren't for this. And he said, it will change yours if you let it in. And he read this to me from Matthew 3, 16, 17. He said, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And he looked at me. He said, Look into my eyes. He said, Jesus had not done a miracle. He had not taught a message. He had not healed a man He had not fed one person. This man was at the very beginning of his ministry at that baptism. And his father came to him in that moment and said, I love you. Not because of what you've done. Not because you've done so many wonderful things. But I love you. And I'm pleased with you. He said, Blaine, we don't have to check off lists for God to love us for God to be pleased with us. He said, if I can tell you one thing is just learn to relax in God's grace. Learn to let his love and his grace come into your life and out of that grace and out of his goodness, respond. Just respond. You're not earning God's good pleasure. He's pleased with you. He loves you. You're his son. You're his child right now. And some of you need to hear that. He loves you today. He is madly in love with you. His grace is there for you no matter where you've been, what you've done, and as he gives you that grace, just respond back to him. It's so hard for me to get through worship here because I just break down. I mean, there's not a Sunday that tears just don't flow because I'm just in, a, in the presence of a God that loves me and loves you and cares And it's out of that grace that each day I just say, God, I just want to love you back. Not because you're going to be happier with me because I do the right thing today, but just because you love me. The last thing, I'll just take a minute, we're just about out of time, but is I think going to our Jerusalem on some level means carrying a heavy heart, maybe even a broken heart for the world around us that there is just this consuming brokenness for broken people who really messed up. Luke 19, I'm just going to read the very first verse of this. It says, as Jesus came near to Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept. and went on to describe a city that had become rebellious and had idols and... Made bad decisions that they didn't recognize the time of God's visitation. And, and, and he said, I, I'm weeping. He, he wept over the city. And cities need to be wept over by the church. People and families need to be wept over by Christians, by God followers, by believers. And we can weep for our Jerusalem. We can weep for the broken because we've been there. We've been the broken. We've been the hurt. We've been the lost. And when we dare to never forget our lostness, dare to never forget where we came from and remind ourselves where we would be without a savior, it will give us a compassion for those that are broken around us every day. I I was in Houston. This was a few months after my, uh, my Vancouver trip looking for another job. Vancouver didn't work out. So I went to Houston. I was given this opportunity to meet with these business guys. And, and so I went, went there, and I was on my way home, actually, uh, in the airport. And I was standing up front uh, waiting for a guy to check my, my bag in. And I was just standing there, and this lady walked up to me and just kind of stood beside me and said hello. And uh, she looked like she was in her 20s. And, and, uh, and, and I, so I said hello. And, oh and well, what are you doing? She was just for, very friendly. What are you doing? I I said, "Well, you know, I'm going home." And uh and uh and so, what are you doing?" And, "Well, I'm I'm meeting a friend. A friend's picking me up. I just got here." So, uh she she said, "Well, what do you do?" And uh I said, "I'm unemployed." Uh and uh I, I don't have a job." And, "Oh, okay. Well, why why don't you have a job? Why?" I just, you know, I don't right now. And uh never mind. And uh, "Well, what did you what did you used to do?" "Well, I you know, I I was a was a communicator. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, she said, well, well how did you communicate? What kind of, well, I, I worked, you know, worked in, in a church. Well, what would you do? I was the pastor. You were the pastor. She said, my dad's a pastor. Well, how come you're not pastoring anymore? I said, well, it just, you know, took some time off. Well, why? You know, she just wouldn't quit. And, and pretty soon she had me telling my story and I just told her how I'd just felt like I'd failed God and failed my family. I needed time to heal and to, you know, get help and, to, you know, health. And, and, uh, and, and she, she looked at me and, and when I told her about some parts of it, she said, you know, I, I've struggled too in my life. She said, I've struggled with that whole area of sexuality and sex, and, and it's, I've, I've, I've you know made bad decisions and, 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 and yet, I, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus, but, but, but I, I want to ask you a question, because every time I go home and back to my father, who is a pastor, when he, he hears about my struggles, he tells me, "If you don't get your life together, you're going to hell, young lady. you're going to hell." And she just said, "Am I going to hell?" And I just saw this broken girl who'd been told that she's hopeless until she figured it all out and got her life all together. And it wasn't me. I don't do this. I never do this. But tears just began to flow down my eyes as I looked into her eyes. And I said, I don't believe you're going to hell. I think Jesus came for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. I think he came to heal us and to restore us and to help us. He didn't come to wait until we get our lives together. He is a savior. That, that says that he's saving us from something. And so whatever you need to be saved from, for whatever struggles you're fighting through, he wants to be there for you right now. And she just began to break down crying. And I was just, I mean, I was just looking around. And she jumps and hugs me. And she says, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you. And it was like, I was Jesus. And I I told her, I'm not Jesus. No, I know. I just love Jesus. And in that moment, the peace of God was in that time and space. In that moment, I climbed kind of a tough hill because I didn't want to go into my story with her. But I did. And in that moment, the influence of the gospel was brought to bear. And as I was in my job, I thought, you know what? This is my work. This is who I am. This is what I want to do the rest of my life, is find Jerusalem moments every day in whatever I end up doing. I want to challenge you. Find those moments each day in your life. Let God bring those moments. Let's stand our feet. We're gonna receive Holy Communion this morning as we uh, close our service. And to encourage our service to come and prepare the elements and let's prepare our hearts to receive the body, the blood of Christ. Let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Let's say these words together. Our Father, On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. By faith, Lord Jesus, we believe that you're entering into the bread, that this is becoming for all of us the body of Christ. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. would lift up the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. By faith, Lord Jesus, we believe that you are entering this cup, that it is becoming for us the blood of Christ. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your suffering. Now let's declare the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's come and receive. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.